Welcome to the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are The Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Dental Amigos podcast. I'm Rob Montgomery, and I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Great to be here talking, Rob. All right, Paul, good to have you here. Here we are in our finale of season four, Buying a Practice. Today, we're going to talk about the all-important topic of the transition. Yeah, buying a practice. All the biggest, in that. Yeah, yeah, the biggest decision of your career and what happens. I liken it to taking a baby home from the hospital. But uh, Rob, you know, your real children, they kind of stay with you until they're 18 years old, but your practice is Mine staying- Mine split for, before that. Right, I, so I like, you know, that. you're looking at 30 years. So you're bringing the practice home and you're taking over and the transition and a lot of times your team scatters. So we're gonna, you know, your transition team, they're done. They don't scatter, they've just completed it. And now you're ready to kind of manage this transition and a lot of things go well and some things go sideways. Yeah, and I think uh, we're gonna talk about some specifics and I, and I do, I love, the uh, the metaphor, you yeah. know, because it's really true, you know, and we can spend the next 15 minutes talking about all the ways that it's true, but it's true that, you know, like you get there, like, oh, wow, I got what I asked for. And then now a, what? There was a Seinfeld episode with you got to come see the baby. And, uh, you know, when I've had two awesome children and people are demanding to come over and see your children, say, when can I see this baby? When can I watch this baby? And I just want to let you know, no one has asked to see my dental practice or want to take care of it for me, okay? So practice owners, it is not as attractive to go to a strip mall, one of our practices, or an old house office in Pennington and say, hey, I'll take care of the practice for you today. So it is a important thing to pay attention to. Yeah, and I think, you know, you also alluded to the fact that some things are going to be good, some things are going to be bad. And I, you know, we're going to get into the nitty gritty on some of these issues, but, uh, you know, we both own professional practices. Like there are ups and downs. Oh, for like, sure. Like you really like, do not think that this is just going to be as Stephen Charles says, rainbows and unicorns, yes. right? Like I bought my practice and now everything is happy and good. What could possibly go wrong? Well, you know, owning and operating a, a small business, a small professional business, there's a lot that can go wrong. Yeah. You, you're going to manage issues, put out fires on a regular basis, you know, and, and not, this isn't trying to uh, dissuade people from doing it. And, uh, you know, because I, I, I have no regrets and I suspect you don't either. Right. But, uh, and if you do, I don't want to hear them, yeah, Paul. Right, yeah. but, um, you know, there, it's not always easy. I don't know? have regrets. I just have learning experiences that made me cry inside. I don't know if those are regrets, but they're <laughs> no. learning experiences that made me cry inside. <laughs> Completely but different thing. I'll right. share, you know, as we dig in, I, I, I am a big acronym guy. People know from Nachos, but OPP was a, a band, was a group from my junior, L-O-P-P. It's really lack of people predictability. And uh -huh. I just think, you know, since you are not going to go to Dennis Fantasy Camp, as many times we've talked about it, Rob, but I'm sure it could be the same for you know, taking over an attorney group, it's the lack of people predictability and that real lack of people predictability in your transition is the team. I did a great interview with a new mom recently, Rob, and I said, who had the tougher adjustment to you when you took over this practice, the patients or the team? 
and it's probably simply it's the team because the team has been with this person yeah. for the past sometimes 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Mm -hmm. And the patients pop by for their cleanings and crowns. So mm -hmm. I think it's just an important frame for them in this transition. The team part is key. Yeah, yeah. So you, you got to be down with LOPP. Yeah, so LOPP. Is that that's it. Put in me? the show notes. Down with LOPP. You remember? <laughs> you <yeah>. know me. <laughs> uh, all right. So, uh, you know, some things that you need to think about after the transition. Uh, you've got the keys. Day one, you walk in. Uh, let's talk about treatment philosophy, yeah. Paul. Uh, you know, what, how are you bridging that gap? And I mean, I talk about this and hear it discussed with consultants and our clients. And I, you know, obviously I don't have the clinical experience, but, but I, I understand the issue, you know, which is this is the way things used to be. Right. And this is the way things are now, which is part of the danger of buying a practice as opposed right. to doing a startup, right? You you have to transition right. something, the people, the patients, the staff, everything. Uh, but talk to the listeners about specifically treatment philosophy, why that matters, and some strategies to help manage that. I mean, I've done this for my own life. So I'll tell you stories. You know, when we purchased a practice. We didn't. We never even had the chance to meet one of these dentists. Sadly, he had passed away. He was sick. So when we look at a patient and say, hey, Millie, this tooth, it doesn't have any white part left. It's all this silver part, and it, you've broken more of it. The only way to keep this tooth chewing is to use a, do a crown, which is like a hard hat for your tooth. Todd Fleischman says that, or Jeff Goodman says one of those fancy cases for your phone. So the only way to keep this tooth chewing is to do this. And you think you're doing a good job explaining it. And they look at you and say, well, old Doc Smith never did a crown. Yeah. You know what's interesting? They got five other crowns in their mouth. So now you're like, you're lying to me. We're in this midst where you're lying. Now Maybe they were just sedated. So, they didn't even know. Yeah, you know? so with the treatment philosophy is one of the most difficult parts. So of the immediate buy-in, buy-out, we can talk about how long the seller's staying. So that, you know, if the seller's staying for a period of time for introductions, you can, tr you can get a, a deeper understanding of this treatment philosophy. But it's one of the, you know, we've talked in previous mm -hmm. episodes about buying into a practice where you're an associate. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the advantages because you've sure. seen behind the curtain. So I think you have to just be extremely cautious, still caring. Um, I strive to not suggest things that are very elective if they're not needed in, in the beginning. Try mm -hmm. to develop relationship. Mm -hmm. I have to be a good dentist, so I don't let people go if they have an infection. And sometimes you don't win them all, but I think it's talking to the seller. And role, you know, it role playing's life. So if you look at some charts with the with the seller before they leave, say what what would you do here, and then see if that fits with your treatment philosophy. One of the things, and we can kind of even go back further in the season, Rob. I'll ask you is how many times do your clients connecting with the seller on the clinical part of what they do during the deal. You know, I can't say for sure. Yeah. Um, and every deal is different. You know, there are there is communication, uh, but typically we're not involved in that beyond to have a conversation about the importance of understanding what you're getting. Yeah. You know, and that's just part of the due diligence process. But we're not we're not involved in the nitty gritty of that. Um, but but let me turn it back to you though. Like, so what can people do, or what should they look for, or what should they avoid prior to the closing? Uh, when it comes to this issue, because to me, my understanding of this is this is this can be a big problem, oh, but it's enormous. also an identifiable problem. Yeah, like, well, like you need to get in and do the due diligence before and understand what that full treatment philosophy is. I, I almost feel like 
if you haven't done that, you don't do that. Shame on you if you wait until right. the day after closing well, to see like, what's been going on here? One of the things is uh, dental school is like the dental school hunger game. We don't learn how to talk to each other. We don't deal with conflict easily. So no surprise when you're buying someone's practice, you're buying their baby, you may not be able to have these conflict-oriented discussions. So one of my suggestions is, is along the way, when you go in for a chart audit or to see the equipment, say to the seller, would it be okay if we reviewed some charts together? I would mm -hmm. love to learn from you. That's what you say. I'd love to learn from you. I like that. And then, you know, one of my coaches said this, not me, accidentally on purpose, say some things like, oh, would your patients normally do a crown and something like that? And, you know, as we can deepen this a little bit, and this is some highlights, if a practice doesn't use intraoral photos, Rob, it's a red flag because that means that they're not showing pictures of the teeth to the patients mm -hmm. and they're just sort of describing it like a speech from Hamilton days. So intraoral <laughs> photos, you know, in, in the like story that. of this tooth in the back, Rob, there's a silver cell, like intraoral photos, do they take them or not? So here, yeah. if you're listening right now and you go to a seller and say, can we see some intraoral photos? And they say, yes, here are some, you gotta, you, you're already a step ahead. Uh -huh. They say, we don't use intraoral photos here. You have a problem with treatment philosophy because a picture worth a thousand words, that means that they're at least showing their patients pictures of broken teeth, uh, swollen gums, worn down teeth. So I think along the way, when you're talking about the real estate, when you're talking about um, the finances, when you're going to look at their chair from the 1970s, yeah. say, hey, could we review some charts together? Yeah, and I think that that's a, is a great point. And I think people really need to understand that this is one of those instances where, you know, the numbers and the revenue or the practice that's not, that's just the beginning of right. the, uh, sort of the, the, the search, right? Um, just because a practice grosses $850,000 doesn't mean it's a quote unquote good practice for right. you to buy if the treatment philosophy is so off from what right. your treatment philosophy is, because now you're trying to literally put the square peg in the round hole, right? right? It just doesn't work. Uh, and, you know, it's so much more involved in the quote unquote transition, you know, than just paying the money and getting the practice. And this is why we talk about you, you sell liquor stores, you buy gas stations, you transition right. dental practices. They're people places, they're not pizza places like we talk about. So right. I think the treatment philosophy, it's key to pay attention. There's no perfect way to do it, but to have as many conversations about the clinical care. Every time you see the seller, ask to see some charts, say, I'd like to learn from you. And then accidentally on purpose say, oh, what would you do here? Would your patients accept crowns? And if they say, no, we do giant fillings. And just, you know, th this might not mean something to you, Rob. It's going to mean something to listeners. If you buy a practice where they do a lot of conservative dentistry, it's not a gold mine because the patients are trained not to do that work. Yeah. And untraining their brain for that is not yeah. easy. Right. And it's, it's a big transition. Right. Because right? yeah. now you're threatening the previous philosophy of the previous owner. Mm -hmm. So it's just key that it doesn't have to align with you perfectly. It just has to be something that you feel comfortable managing. You know, being, the, there's periodontal charting. We take the health of the gum tissue. If we say, how often do you do that? And they say, what's that? That's yeah. going to be a problem, right? Yeah. They say, we do it every other year and you're supposed to do it every year. Well, maybe now this becomes more manageable. I actually mm -hmm. think one of the things is we're talking about this, and I can tell you some drama stories with a recent coaching client about hygienist. The key is not being able to talk to the hygienist about this is a challenge. Yeah. Because the dentist will also lie to you. Uh -huh. Because they'll lie to you unintentionally. They will be more optimistic as mm -hmm. to how things go. And their hygienist won't. Well, and let, let's use that to pivot to the next topic, which is transitioning and managing the team, right? So a lot of times, 
from a buyer's perspective, and this is this is a challenge, they may not have spoken to right. the team. And and in a lot of cases, and I don't love this when we represent the buyer, but I, you know I somewhat get it. But there needs to be a happy medium. But if you're you're buying a practice and the people that work in that practice, you know everybody as you like to say, who puts on this Broadway right. play, yeah. all these they find out on Monday morning when they come to work that that the practice has been sold. Like that's a scary yeah, no, thing. It, it, we maybe if we talk this out enough, Robin, my so well, I'll share, for example, sometimes my wife, who you know, says, I don't want to watch this TV show with you. You can watch it on your own time. And I go, what universe am I watching TV? Am I getting up at 2 a.m. and saying that? I go, we watch it at the same time, Mary. It's going to be a very it's, special it's TV 9 show. 9 to 11. Like, you go, oh, you could watch that on your own. Oh, I'll get up at 3 a.m. and watch the Game of Thrones thing. So back to this way. So it's yeah. an unrealistic solution. Uh-huh. We, there's no realistic solution as to when these dentists can talk to the team. Like, yeah. when is the day before the closing, ahead of the time, where they sit there? And I, my suggestion in this transition is please don't schedule patients. I would spend two full days with no patients, just spending time with the team. You got your whole life to make money. Just say to the seller, if we're going to close on Monday, just block out Monday and Tuesday and give me time with the team. Pay the team. Hang out with them. Interview them. Learn from them because if you don't get that set to start, and I know you've seen this, it's like we're closing at 9 a.m., 10 a.m. There's a filling on someone you never met working yeah. with a team you don't know. So I think that you have got to at least block out two days of your life mm, where you can point. train the team, get to know them as people first. Mm -hmm. I you know, like that. I mean, you know, what's kind of interesting, Rob, is that um, it's a really happy day for the seller, but is it a happy day for the team members? No. Right, like it's uncertainty. Right, it's happy it's that they didn't lose their jobs. I guess, right? Maybe, but they don't but, know. I mean, they yeah. may they may think that they may lose their jobs next week. Yeah. So, I mean, think I think for sellers out there who might be listening, you just have to have Brett Gilbert, who you know talks about grace. It's like where empathy, like Gary Vee, you have to have some understanding of like this happy day for you, where you're hanging up the handpiece and maybe getting the check that you wanted is not such a happy day for your team, and that really makes it difficult because this coaching client I have. The hygienist just left his thing. He said, he just doesn't want to be here. And now patients are leaving because of that. Uh, and it's a, yeah. that's a true transition problem. And it's the first four months of her, them owning. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a tricky thing. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, there's not a good solution to this, as you said, because um, most sellers don't want you to talk to their staff until, yeah. if not at the closing, close to the closing, or until there's a signed agreement. You know, and if and by the time there's a signed agreement as a buyer, unless there's something really blatantly wrong, you you, know, you can interview those people and it doesn't go well, and you're still, they you still to proceed. They say, I feel like I was taken advantage by the broker. I had an attorney, I had an accountant. I think I overpaid for this because when I got in the practice, what can I do now? And I kind of want to type back nothing. Right? There's not much to do now. What's interesting is DSOs set up themselves for success with this by keeping the seller on. Mm -hmm. In this world that we're talking about, mm -hmm. there's really no transition requirements right 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 I mean, well and, and let's let's pivot into that topic you know how long does a seller stay on should the st seller stay on and every deal is different as you said dso's require it for the obvious reasons they yeah. they need dentists uh you know but then as far as what the seller's doing post-closing to a large extent depends on the size of the practice right. and the nature of the practice you know in a perfect world it's a practice that could support the seller staying on for a couple of days a week for a year. Well, 
well, that could be awesome, right? right? You know, in some respects, right? That we could we'll talk about the the downside to right, that sure. possibly, but that certainly helps to transition the relationships. Everybody feels like the day after closing, things are still kind of like they were right. the day before closing, uh, and that could be a good thing. But if you're dealing with a a one doc PPO practice. Ah, uh, you know, right. There's not enough space. There's not enough work. Also, it's like I don't know. Rather, you know, even if you were like, if you bought your dental, if someone bought your law firm and said, "Hey, Rob, hang around with me," like, are you going to watch them lawyer over their shoulder all day? Right. right. You're, you're going to kind of have a t- thumb twiddling problem. Right. You're probably there'll probably be weird friction. Right. It's just strange. <laughs> you, know? you know. So it's like yeah. You know, it's like there's someone going to watch. I mean, I don't can't watch my wife cook dinner and be like. You need help over here. I know where the blender is, right? So yeah. it's like it's like a it, comedy. It yeah. creates so. It's Who, what, a, what's the dude? What's 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 the doc doing I, in the I corner over if, there? If, if if you want me to share as someone who's been through this and someone who brokers and does this, it's really is if you can get the seller to stay around checking hygiene and mm-hmm. doing the hygiene mm-hmm. visit, saying, "Hey, I have really good news. Right. I have someone who's taking over for me after all these years." Mm-hmm. And they're still sitting there in front of the patient, mm-hmm. checking their hygiene. And then ideally, they would call in the person and say, hey, this is my patient, Rob. He's been a patient for a long time. We've been watching this tooth. Hey, Rob, just so you know, Dr. Smith probably is going to need a crown over the next couple of years. That would be ideal, right? Mm-hmm. That would be because yeah, they're not doing work term. and they're just saying words. And you go, I tr- I, it's a trust factor. You trust the person mm-hmm. who just sold it. Mm-hmm. You have no trust in the new person. Mm-hmm. And they're transferring that trust. And I called, I said to my clients the other day, they have a, it was a $2 million practice that they purchased. And it's like, that's a team relationship-based practice. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the team has a, my office with my brother, the team knows the patients. Right. So if mm-hmm. we weren't there anymore and someone took over, they got to manage that team well, or else the whole thing's going to be a problem. So yeah. I think, um, I think, you know, getting help, like, you know, we've had the people like the Cure Dents on, there's people to mm-hmm. help. I mean, sure. There's people that have signed up to help you with this process. You right. just have to connect with them. Right. Yeah. And as you said, you know, trust is goodwill. You know, right. you'll see that line item on the the purchase price yeah. allocation. And maybe not surprisingly or coincidentally, that is the lion's share right. of the allocation is goodwill. Goodwill yeah. is trust. That's what you're buying. And your ability to capture that and transition that is going to ensure the success of the practice. Sure. But, you know, there are some downsides sometimes too to the seller stuff oh, sure. you talked about. And I think, you know, it's sort of like, well, what's you know, he or she doing just standing around? Um, and it also confuse can, can cause confusion with the staff, right? Yeah. Because now, you know, are they going to the seller for issues? Are they possibly diverting good cases to right. the to the seller? So that you know, is not always the greatest thing. But you know, sometimes, too, we'll see situations where people are buying a, a one-doc practice and they say, well, we want the seller to stay on for six months and we're not going to pay them. I'm like, they're just going to come to work every day and <laughs> yeah. not get paid right. and just stand around. Like, that's going to be a different kind of problem because now you have this this somewhat like semi-invested, miserable human yeah, yeah. that everybody that is a, a pretty important human right. shall we say in this whole in this whole puzzle uh, vis-a-vis the patients and the team who's just like trolling around in, in misery you know, Some like, of who goes to work like, for 6 yeah, months for free the, the, a lot <clears throat> excuse me a lot of the problems that were on the seller rob in that if you're a buyer doing this ask some good questions along the way of how the systems are set up for the team right because right. If you know you do, you deal with big, small, medium, and large transitions, some are just a total mess. The systems are a mess. When the dentist is there, yes, they can make magic happen, and yes, they can do crowns. But as soon as they remove themselves, the whole thing falls apart. And somehow you have to identify 
the messification of the things outside of the dentistry, right? Yeah. Is there an office manual? Have they heard of an office manual? Yeah. You know, for an example, OSHA training, it's as simplistic as that seems. There's always those good practices. Oh, when was your last OSHA training? We do it yearly in April. That's a great answer. When was your last OSHA training? I don't know, some shine rep came four years ago and gave a, gave a video and brought us pizza. No yeah. good. Right? Yeah, yeah. So it's like, it's what is the mess that you have on your hands and how are you going to unmessify it when you take over? Yeah, and that, I think it's a great point. That leads me to really, you know, to another topic with that, which is just like with all of this, all practices are different. There are right. some practices where the seller is essentially the office manager and right. has their hand in everything. And then at the other extreme, there's some offices where the seller has no idea right. what's going on in the office. You know, and, and both of those, there's pros and cons with those, with the transition. As you said, you may ask the seller a question. They may say, yeah, it's this. Well, they might be dead wrong. Right. They may not be, they may not be answering incorrectly, you know, maliciously, but they may just not know because there right. are people that we see that in some of our clients who just turn over everything to their staff. You know, right. they come, they, they're the dentist and they walk out the door and, and they have no clue. And, and that's what on. we talked about before is we, like, is that going to match your leadership style? Because yeah. if you have a micromanager mm -hmm. take over a hands-off thing, that's the team is not going to like that. No. Because they're used to deciding, you know, we got, there's, there's dentists that want to decide which Keurig flavor coffee they're going to get, right? Mm -hmm. Paul Goodman says, get some Keurig, right? Which flavors you decide. That's my leadership style. But not all dentists are like that. So yeah. is your leadership sound? And it's really in that transition time, you're, you've hopefully done work before that happens. And then mm -hmm. you hopefully are getting, I mean, we, we say this so many times, get good people on your side, including the transition time. Yeah. Get Akira Dent. Get the Costas group. I mean, these are just people who've been on our podcast. Get get coaches that help with this. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, And help you to identify these problems. And I'll say what I said a few minutes ago, which is, you have to look beyond the numbers when you're doing the due diligence and be realistic. And if this is not a practice that is sort of consistent with your vision for how you want your right. practice to work, regardless of what the gross revenue is, it may not be a good situation because if the gross revenue is X and then you have people quitting and everybody's miserable and the patients don't want treatment and all these problems are occurring post-closing, the practice is no longer worth X. It's worth, you know, some percentage right. of you, you asked in the beginning, Rob, would your, there's awesome annoying parts. This morning, I was having a bribe-based discussion with my four-year-old to get off the floor and come to school, right? To start my day. Mm -hmm. I, am I glad I'm a parent? Yes. Do I have to deal with that? Also, yes. So like- What was the bribe? You know, I, I, she could watch the phone on my shoulders for part of the way to school, right? Nice, you that know? wasn't too big yeah, of a We negotiated a little bit. Nice job. I, no, there's only two ways to go. You Either may have give, gotten her for a change on that yeah, one, right? Even, <laughs> even give, her, give her away or everybody loses. So I think our, really is a key for our listeners who haven't bought a practice yet, that this is baked in to the experience. And I think you have to be very cautious on this transition, uh, very cautious and as you say, aware of what that transition is gonna look like because maybe that rules out the practice for you. Yeah, yeah, and you've said this so many times in so many different contexts though, you know, dental practices are people businesses, right? right? Yeah. These are these are people issues, not number issues, you know? And, and I think as you shop for practices and do your due diligence, you have to look beyond the numbers because yeah. it's really, at the end of the day, it's the people. Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the LOPP, the lack of people predictability for, and the T for this transition is definitely team. Yeah, yeah. And then I just kind of wrap up on a more mundane topic uh, that, 
you need to be aware of is you know how you're tracking and managing accounts receivable post closing. A lot of this is going to what you should do is going to depend on what you agreed to do. My hope um, is just this and doing this variety of ways and burning my hand on the nachos is yeah. to buy it, buy yeah. the accounts receivable. Right. Oh, oh, but, but buy their accounts receivable. What about this thing? Because when I didn't do that, Rob, yeah, it was just death by a thousand cuts. I mean, it was most people. Most of the time, though, that's not going to happen. I mean, that, I'm with you. Yeah, right? totally. That that is the the cleanest, easiest, best way to go. I would say that probably happens mm, one in five times for us. One of the things I don't understand about this, Robin, I want to hear is that like it's kind of like you're going out to a meal and you say, "I'm not going to care how many calories I eat," right? And you eat the meal, and then dessert comes, and you're very into the calories on dessert, and it. It's inconsistent with what you've done before. I'll explain. You're I wonder where you're eight, going with this. You're getting an eight hundred thousand dollar loan for a practice, uh -huh. and then there's like a hundred and twenty thousand dollars of accounts receivable, and you say, "Magic wand, it's seventy two thousand dollars." Right? Why is it a big deal? The eight hundred should be the bigger deal. Yeah. That's always kind of blown my brain up, because the person who's taking a loan for nine hundred thousand dollars to buy a business now turns and says. I don't want to create debt for seventy two thousand dollars. It's not always the buyer, though. A lot of times, sellers don't oh, want to do it. You <laughs> I don't know? want they wouldn't either because we, they don't want to give up that extra, you know, few percentage points that are inevitably going to be. But part they're going to come like, in the with equation. their like jeans on on a Saturday and look through accounts on Dentrix with people. Oh, <laughs> amen! You're preaching to the choir. I yeah. know. I know. Um, well, I think you know. Again, a lot of that is. Uh, you know, in, in the perfect transition, you've got good representation on both sides and both the seller and the buyer are getting that same message yeah. that this is better for you, it's better for them. And and that's that's the way to go. But uh, if I said that that's one out of five that the AR goes, there's probably less than one out of five times that we have well-represented buyers, yeah. sellers. Well, I mean, my and, philosophy is if you don't buy the AR like I did one time, because I did, didn't really know better, you're just going to be annoyed a lot because your office manager is going to come to you and say, Bill Smith has a balance of five hundred dollars. You yeah, did something for eight hundred. What goes to the old one? What goes to the new one? Who's keeping these ledgers? It's yeah. So, um, it can be a full time job yeah, for, right. for for somebody in your office yeah. to manage that, right? Um, the cost of that. So I would I would uh, there is something I can add a value that there's some really one is a nacho sponsor Andy Grover Cleveland. I mean there are these agencies that will clean up your accounts receivable. So if you either way really you could say, hey seller, you know how you haven't collected this money in two and a half years, like before you close on this practice, why don't you hire one of these places mm -hmm. to see how much you can get cleaned up? Yeah, yeah, so good point. All right, well, hopefully we've uh, demystified and not scared people. Yeah, I was gonna say, I was just thinking the, the same thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've aware them. We've aware them. We've aware them. them. Being a be responsible concern is important. I like that, I like that. Well, uh, everyone, thanks for listening. As always, if you enjoyed today's show, go on your favorite podcast platform and give us lots of stars. And, and uh, until the next time, thank you. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with The Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on thedentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.